Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. So this guest is worth 8 billion US dollars. Not 8 million, not 800 million, 8 billion US dollars. So he's um, the biggest thinking entrepreneur I think that I've interviewed. My favourite quote of his on the whole podcast. There are lots, um, including some of the sentences that he starts with. Listen out for the way he starts sentences. I pick it out at the end. Um, But he says on the podcast, passion is for losers. You've got to be obsessed. Massive, massive thinker. So his name is Naveen Jain. Uh, You may have heard of him. Um, He moved to America from India with no money. Um, He started working for Microsoft in the 1980s. He was working on the groundbreaking software at the time, such as Windows 95. He left Microsoft uh, and then he founded Infospace with six employees. Within two years, that company was worth over $75 million. Um, He's grown many businesses since and sold them. We talk about growing his businesses, selling his businesses, a vast vision, changing the world, making a difference. In 2010, he founded Moon Express. Uh, He's the only person in the universe to have a license to harvest from the moon. And he plans to harvest the resources from the moon. And he talks about how he's planning to do that. Um, He's actually really funny. And again, like um, the previous interview I did with J.P. Sears, has me running around in circles. But I think that just makes for great answers. Um, I think you'll love him. So without uh, more words from me, welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast interview with Naveen Jain. Hi, Naveen. How are you, sir? I'm doing actually really well. Just been a very busy day. I've been up since well, for six hours now almost. <laughs> OK. What time is it where you are? 9 a.m. So I started my day at about 3.3.15 this morning. Wow. And is that how is, do you get up at that, at that time every morning? I get up around four o'clock, but I just days have been crazy because I've been traveling a lot, and so just wanted to just catch up. Right, well, Naveen, look, thank you very much for doing the podcast. Oh, it's, I'm I'm looking forward to it actually. Growing up, um, obviously, um, coming to America with not a lot. How was it for you? Well, you know, it's really in life. It's not where you start from. It's really what you make out of it. So none of us, when we are born, I mean, we really have nothing other than maybe uh, some of our genes. And those genes are, you know, as you start to look at in a bigger picture as we grow up, you know, make up about 1% of who we are. And everything really comes from nurturing from the time after we are born. So to me, life is the biggest mentor you have. So as I say, the life never stops teaching. It's just sometimes we stop learning. Okay. Um, Do you think the fact that, because I think there are a lot of very successful people who aren't maybe native, you know, I hate the word immigrant, but that's what people say. Some wildly successful people like yourself, like maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Gary Vaynerchuk, like whoever, 
you know, have had a harder upbringing. Do you think that that has helped you become such a successful entrepreneur? You know, I really don't believe so. And let me tell you why I say that. You know, obviously, it's easy for someone to see that, you know, you are you have a hunger and you have a desire and you want to go out and, you know, show people what you can do. But the trick really is, can we create a structural change in the society that means it doesn't matter where you are in your life cycle, you continue to aim for the moon shots. So if you look at and obviously, my story is uh, we can talk, you know, we can talk about that. But really, to me, what I'm most proud of are really our children. And you look at three of our children, they grew up in extremely affluent family. And there's just no way I could hide the fact that they didn't go. But the fact, if you look at them, what they're doing, they're moving the humanity forward. Our oldest is 28 year old. And if you just Google him, his name is Ankur, A-N-K-U-R. And there is not a not a month that goes by, he's not have a 10 page profile on him on some magazine. Here's a kid who started Cairo Society when he was 17 years old, which became the world's largest college entrepreneurship thing. And then he graduated from Wharton. He started the company that he sold the company to Tinder. And now he's focused 100% of his effort on solving real world problem, affordable housing, student loan, senior care, child care. And think about 28-year-old kid believes that the smartest people should be working on world's biggest problems. And that's really the key is that how do we take uh, the world's biggest problem and get the smartest people to work on that? His sister, who is 24, graduated from Stanford, Stanford Mayfield Fellow, Stanford STEM Fellow, Youth Ambassador for United Nations, and she cared about women empowerment. Guess what she does? She is now working on artificial intelligence to remove the gender bias from um, <clears throat> hiring. And the youngest one is a senior at Stanford, and he's focused 100% on how can he take the entrepreneurship to solve problem. He's graduating from Stanford this year and uh, becoming a Schwarzman scholar. That tells you that it's not a luck of one person turned out right. It's all three of them focused on changing the whether it's women empowerment, whether it's empowering entrepreneurs or going out building relationships, is how do we take the children who grew up in affluent families, still give them those values that what matters is what you do for the society, not what you do for yourself. Okay, great. So um, I think we've kind of led where I wanted to go and you've led me in a probably a more elegant way. Because I guess what I was trying to um, work out is what makes someone successful? And, yeah. and you have said so far, good values, um, wanting to do meaningful things that make a difference to the planet. Is there anything else you would add that yeah. makes someone successful? So the def we have to change the definition of success. What is the success mean? If you define success as amount of money you have in the bank, then you actually will never be successful because you're always chasing something. So to us, uh, what I tell our children is your success will never be measured by amount of money in your bank. What it will be measured by will be number of lives you've been able to improve on. And that's the definition of success. And the only way you know you have really become successful is humility. The day you become humble is the day you become successful. If you still have iota of arrogance left in you, that means you're still trying to prove something to yourself or someone else, and then you're not successful. So if you look at our president, he's constantly telling everyone, do you know how rich I am? Well, that tells you that he's still, he's still looking for success. Yeah, okay. Is that not okay, though, because it drives you to more as long as you don't let it go out of control? 
so remember making money is like having an orgasm if you focus on it you're never going to get it you have to enjoy the process <laughs> okay well that is that's the best answer on money i've ever had okay so you said the word moonshot naveen and i know you love that word I don't know, physically you're, um, you know, you're very involved in the moon itself. So what, could you define what moonshot is for you? Yeah, so the moonshot is a word that uh, is really is about those audacious ideas, those audacious things that most people on the surface believe are difficult or impossible to do. And to me, those moonshots is what moves the humanity forward. So for me, there are two moonshots that I'm currently working on. One is really about saving humanity from potential extinction by creating a multiplanetary society. So, you know, think of us, 7.4 billion of us on one single spacecraft we lovingly call planet Earth. And it's our spacecraft we're flying on the space. What if our spacecraft gets damaged because we get hit by a large asteroid? Then the it's not the planet that won't survive. Planet will be just fine. The whole human species may not survive. Remember, when we got hit by a large asteroid, the dinosaurs were substantially bigger species. Dinosaurs got wiped out. Planet was just fine. It created humans, right? And when humans get wiped out, it will probably create superhumans for all we know, right? But the point is, we never, so our job is to make sure, can we save the human species by distributing into multiple spacecraft, right? If you can hear the dinosaurs rolling in their graves, what would they be saying? If they had one good entrepreneurial dinosaur that could have taken them to moon or Mars, they would still be around roaming on the moon, Mars, and beyond. And the second moonshot that I'm working on really is you know, solving the healthcare. Then we see that billions and billions of people are now suffering from chronic diseases, it has become the biggest epidemic of our society. The richer we are getting, the sicker we are getting. So if you look at, you know, the Middle East or India, people never had diabetes or depression or obesity. Now, all those things are coming into the society as the society is becoming richer. So I really think if we don't solve the problem of chronic diseases, we would have wiped out the human species, the way of living, the quality of life will continue to go down. And I really believe that's a moonshot to make illness optional. And that's my other company that I'm working on. Okay. Uh, and so that that is the driver, is it for you, that gives you the motivation to want to get up every morning? You said before we went live at 3 or 4 a.m. Is it the bigger the vision, the more motivation? Is that how it works for you? So if the things you're working on if you don't get, you don't jump out of the bed at 4 a.m., you're working on something really not worthwhile. If you get, if you're lying down in the bed, waiting for and, and hitting the snooze alarm, you're working on the wrong things. Find out why is it that you're not jumping out of the bed? What is it that you're doing that doesn't excite you enough to jump out of that bed? If you're not willing to die for it, don't live for it. Love it. Okay, so you have these massive visions, um, and some people might translate that as crazy ideas, uh, yet you're changing the world and getting people to buy into your crazy ideas. So how do you get people to buy into your grand visions? So interesting thing is, it's easier for people to buy into a, uh, a grand idea that if successful can change the trajectory of how humanity is going to live. So if, if when you tell people what you are doing and they don't look at you and say, 
that's crazy that means you're not thinking big enough think right so you have to think so big that people think you're crazy unless you happen to be really a crazy person in that case all bets are off right <laughs> <laughs> but but my point really is Imagine if you go tell someone, I'm going to build an iPhone app that's going to help you find a better roommate. People say, eh, yeah, you know what? Good luck. Have fun with it, right? When you tell someone, I'm going to make illness optional or I'm going to go to the moon and really mine for the resources and I'm going to set up the habitat on the moon. And by the way, we are the only company in the universe that has a permission to leave Earth orbit and land on the moon. Everybody stops and says, that is goddamn crazy. Who gives you the permission? How are you going to get there? What are you going to go there? I mean, are you really that crazy? I mean, can you really believe that's possible? And those is, interesting thing is, that is what moves not only the society forward, the humanity forward. When people believe that somehow everyone in the world wants to replicate Silicon Valley, right? People think, oh, we can replicate Silicon Valley. It's all about getting some good colleges there. So you got Oxford and Cambridge there. And you say, all we need to bring is a bunch of venture capitalists there. And we set a bunch of incubators. And God, we're going to create the next Silicon Valley. And what they don't realize is Silicon Valley is not about venture capitalists. It's not about incubation. It's not about colleges. It's about the mindset of people who believe in possibilities. So for example, I can tell you this is a really interesting story, which I think will put in the context. I was uh, a, going to go to Web Summit to speak at the, uh, speak at Web Summit. And as you know, I have to go through UK. So I was stopped in the UK and they asked me, where are you going? I'm going to Ireland, uh, Dublin. What are you going to be doing in Dublin? I'm speaking at an event. What are you going to be speaking about? I don't know yet. And they stopped. What do you mean you don't know yet? I'm, I really don't know. I'm going to figure it out once I get there. What do you do? while I'm mining the moon. And this guy <laughs> looks at my looks at me and says, sir, I'm going to give you one warning. And if you talk crazy like that going to the moon, I'll have to stop you right here. So now tell me, what do you do? I said, I'm a software engineer. He said, that's much more like it. Now go. <laughs> my point was to him, it was not even possible in his imagination that someone would be that stupid to be able to go to the moon and think they can mine the moon, right? Now, now, that same idea, when you go to the Silicon Valley and you tell someone, you say, hey, what are you working on? I say, hey, I'm, look, uh, you know, I'm really working on a company that's going to be mining the moon. You know what they say? Oh, what kind of rocket are you going to be thinking? You know, what kind of material are you looking to do? Uh, are you thinking of using a hydrogen peroxide as a fuel or are you thinking of using something as a fuel? And you have, you, what kind of technology are you thinking about temperature difference? Uh, where are you thinking of landing? Do you think you're going to be able to, what technology are you going to be using to convert the water into hydrogen and oxygen? And they really now, you know, they already believe, of course, you'll be going to the moon, right? I mean, that is the point what takes for people to be moving forward because they don't believe it's a crazy idea. They want to hear how you're solving it. Mm. So uh, um, a little read here, but it sounds like you almost have this sadistic pleasure in people thinking your ideas are crazy. It's not a sadistic pleasure. It is simply about... People believe, so when someone reacts, they're not reacting to you, they're reacting to their own mind, right? So what I, you know, look at the world is that no one makes me angry, no one makes me happy, no one makes me sad. I make myself happy, I make myself angry, I make myself sad. So when someone says it is crazy, it is crazy for them. 
When someone says it is impossible, it is impossible for them, not anyone else. So the minute someone believes something is impossible, it becomes impossible only for them and no one else. And that is really what I say. So I always think I can't change the world around me. Only thing I can do is change how I react to it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So you've said, Naveen, that you think, um, or I I think that you've said, that you believe the next 10 years could be the most disruptive 10 years in history. Um, Is that right? And if so, why are the next 10 years going to be the most disruptive in history? So first of all, there's never been a time in the human history where there is a convergence of so many exponential technologies coming at the same time. Normally, if you look at the human history, the innovations at best came one innovation at a time, the steam engine that changed everything. And you know, you start to look at these one set of single innovation that really brought in the whole revolution, whether we call it the agriculture revolution, the industrial revolution. And now what we are finding ourselves in is you start to look at the essentially unlimited computing where the marginal cost of computing is zero. The marginal cost of storage is zero. The marginal cost of, I would argue, in manufacturing is starting to become zero as you start to do the additive manufacturing. The cost of analyzing data is becoming zero. That means now cost of sensors, because everything that makes the iPhone cheaper, faster, thinner, is allowing those technology to get more information out of human bodies or your environment. That means the amount of data that is being collected by all these sensors that have become marginally at zero cost. The things that used to cost millions of dollars, accelerometer, GPS, is now given away on the phones, right? You start to look at everyone having a computing device in their pocket more powerful than the computers that landed the man on the moon. Now, all these things are changing the way we live. That means not only we used to be only the consumer of information, now we're starting to become the producer of ideas. And that means a person in Africa, his ideas can be heard and implemented with the person in India. And the world is coming together. That means no longer we are confined to find the talent that is in the same geographical area. The world is becoming one where the geographical boundaries are crumbling where the information is no longer in one place, no longer people have to be in America to realize the so-called American dream because American dream has really become the world dream, the universal dream, and people can be anywhere in the world, take advantage of the same research, same science, same group of people from around the world to make the dream come true. And that's the reason I believe there has never been a better time. In the next 10 years, not only are we going to make that tremendous progress, I believe how Half of the Fortune 500 companies will go actually out of business because they won't be able to compete with the disruption that's coming. Okay, so um, you've set us up nicely for what's going to happen in the future. So take us to the future. How do you think the next 10 years, 20 years are going to be different? What's going to happen? But if you think about it, you know, you can almost look at every industry. We can look at us as individuals, how we're going to be transformed. So let's look at our health, which I think would happen. And, and then I can go down to every other industry. So you look at our us as humans. What makes us, so let's say, what is that makes me me? So if I say I want to live a healthy, long life, 
what is that I I'm talking about? Is that I my DNA? In that case, your DNA is living forever through your children anyway. So it's a no, 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 that's not what I mean. I really mean my body. And I said, well, that body is constantly changing. It dies every couple of days and reborn, reborn, right? Because you are a baby and your cells are constantly dying and regrowing. So your body is not what it used to be 10 years ago. So you're already dead. Is that what you're talking about? Right? So then people say, no, no, no. What I really mean is that magically me as a whole. So, okay, so let's talk about that. If you replace your knee, is are you still the same? Oh, yeah. Replace your shoulder, are you the same? Replace your hip, are you still the same? Replace your heart, are you still the same? Replace your kidney, are you still the same? At some point of time, people say, I said, what is it then when you stop becoming you? And I think most people will say, it is my memories and my experience is what makes me who I am. And what if I say, what if you could take that and somehow put that any other body Let's call that a biological body for the time being, but it doesn't have to be biological anymore. It's a holographic body. Does that is still you? Because there is not, it's just you replace your shoulder and nip and knee and everything, <laughs> and you still have the same body. Well, it has to look like me. So if I create a holographic body that looked like you, would that make you happier? Yeah, I think we get there. What if there are five of them now? And they're in five different places and they're constantly synchronized to have five different experiences that you are in all those places. So what your mom said, hey, you can't be in two places at the same time. What if mom was wrong? <laughs> you could be in two places at the same time, right? So my point really is we're going to have nanobots going in our body, constantly monitoring what's happening and constantly repairing what's happening. We'll be able to use our own stem cells and we'll be able to keep them outside like a bank. And anytime our organ fails, we'll be able to reproduce it externally and bring it in and bring it in vivo or repair them in, inside the body itself. Even the idea of my heart failing doesn't matter. You don't die because you have these nanoparts that are going to be supplying the oxygen to your organs and you will pick up a phone and say, hey, doc, my heart just stopped. Hey, I'm going to take a shower. Can you print me a new heart? I'll be there in 30 minutes, right? And you go there and you get the new heart and you're good to go, right? And now imagine all those things are constantly being repaired. There's no sign of aging because aging happens because of a lot of the damage that's done, whether it's a mitochondrial gene expression, your gut microbiome, and we can talk about all that later. But the fact is you will completely be renovated. Now you start to look at other industry, education. Do you really need to be going to college to learn because education was designed to teach us skills in the world of exponential technologies? Doesn't matter what skill you learn, it becomes obsolete by the time you graduate. So a new education system will become adaptive. It will be it will be personalized. It will be gamified and you'll be able to learn whatever you want and you'll be able to. In fact, someday we'll be able to take the knowledge and to be able to like a pill and essentially export. So all of your brain and my brain are going to be in some places. And I say, hey, Rob, can I buy your brain? And I put a price to it. And we essentially download your brain to my brain. And you continue improving your brain. And I say, hey, can I buy an upgrade now? <laughs> so I got the version 2.0 coming in next. <laughs> Right. But the point is, all those things will start to happen and then every industry is going to change. Now, look at 
every 90 minutes more solar energy falls on the planet Earth than we use in the whole year. Now, someday the technology is going to come about that's going to convert that. Today is 22% efficacy rate. What if it becomes 40%? We will have all the energy that we need. And it, by the way, it is going to be democratized and demonetized. It is going to become like air. We all breathe air. We don't pay for it. 70,000 of us could sit in a stadium and enjoy the game without slapping the guy next to us to say, don't breathe my air. Because we all know it is so much abundant. It is abundant, so we don't value it and we don't price it. What if the energy was the next air? And when you have en free energy, you can even have a fresh, clean water because you can distill the water in the dirtiest places. Suddenly, all the waterborne diseases are gone. You can have abundance of food. And the idea is that everything becomes so abundant that everyone is going to have everything that they would want. In that world of abundance, this mindset of scarcity goes away. So I really believe the trajectory of how humanity live is going to change in the next 10 years. So you, make, you get me really excited, Naveen, and you make me want to set up a load more businesses and think bigger and change the world. It sounds like you've got a lot of things in your head that you could do. How, how do you not get really overwhelmed and how do you focus all these ideas down into meaningful work? Yeah, and that's really the trick about any entrepreneur is to really have a grand vision and then you take one slice at a time and you start executing them. And then by the time you know, you actually fill the slice. So when, you know, when you say, okay, I'm going to make illness optional, you say, oh my God, how am I going to do that? It's okay. Let's understand what's happening in the gut microbiome. And what if that is something we can understand and fix? Then let's look at what's happening inside the mitochondria. And then you look at the whole body and you start to collect all the data. And the next thing you know, you got enough of the information to be able to make illness optional. And by the way, that applies to everything. So let's assume you say, I'm going to go live on the moon. As opposed to getting overwhelmed of living on the moon, you say, what would it take to live on the moon? People say, well, you can never live on the moon because there is so much radiation. And I say, stop for a second here. What if we know there are bacterial organisms that grow in the radioactive nuclear waste? That means nature has figured out how to protect its DNA from... Um, high radiation, but also use radiation as a source of energy. What if you can take a genetic material from these bacteria and use uh, genetic editing technology like CRISPR to modify our cells? Suddenly, with the humans become radiation resistant. And they say, well, that's fine. How are we going to grow the food? And I say, that's a dumb question, because why do we need to eat the food? And they say, well, are you that dumb to know that we need nutrition and we need energy? And I say, that I understand. So why can't I get energy from radiation just like plant get energy from photosynthesis? The nutrition, what if we can get the hydrogen and oxygen from the water? And suddenly you start to break down these problems and you say, wow, that seems like a pretty solvable problem now, right? And that's really the mindset of thinking of taking these large ideas and you're breaking down what would it take to solve them and you start to see that these are solvable problems. I know that you were affected by the dot-com crash. What did you learn going through that? Um, and First of all, affected is really the wrong word. So, you know, the booms, you know, stocks go up, stock goes down, the booms happen, the bust happen. To me, these are all what I call the... Uh, anticipated, expected life cycles of an entrepreneur. So the way I look at entrepreneurship is, entrepreneurship is like a life, it's like a heartbeat. It goes up and down. When it's smooth, you're already dead. You just don't know it. And when you are at the bottom of that heartbeat, 
all you have to know is hunker down and keep your friends close because you know the good times are coming. You're going to be on the top of that beat. And when you're on the top of the beat, never get too cocky because you should know the winter is coming. And that's really the, to me, is about entrepreneurship. You know, you know, things will happen, the shit happens, and just need to know that you're going to stay calm and anticipate these ups and downs and never get rattled by them. Did, did the dot-com crash kind of take you by surprise, blindside you a bit or not? So remember, so again, it's not about what were you focused on. We were focused on building a company that will fundamentally become who we are today. So I started in uh, you know late 90s, 2000. I'm on record saying seven years before the iPhones came out, I did the interview with Washington Post. I said, one day we're going to have a phone that's going to get your email, your calendar, your stock codes, and you're going to be able to drive by the Starbucks and you're going to get the Starbucks coupon. And someday you're going to use your phone to make a payment instead of a credit card. And the lady said, not in our lifetime. And seven years later, I called her and said, I hope you're still alive because it's happening, it's happening, right? So my point was the booms and bursts never stop innovations from happening. You saw the crisis of the 2000, you know, you saw the dot-com crash. You saw that, two, that was 2000, 2001. Then you saw the crash of 2008, 2009. It didn't stop from CRISPR from happening. It didn't stop the stem cell revolution. It didn't stop the neuroscience revolution. It didn't stop the nanotechnology revolution. So to me... It didn't stop the Uber from come about. It didn't stop the Microsofts of the world. It didn't stop the Googles of the world. It didn't stop the Facebooks of the world. So my point is, external things will happen. The innovation moves forward. And the really, as an entrepreneur, you have to say, never get focused on what the world is. Focus on what you want the world to be. Because if you know what you want the world to be, you can create it. Love it. Love it. What does a billionaire know that a millionaire doesn't know? Well, first of all, there is, you know, these definition is what really troubles me because money is just doesn't define people. What defines people is what is it that you stand for? What problems are you solving that are worth solving? So I think I would say is it's not even what they know is focus on the biggest problems because the bigger the problem, bigger the opportunity. So I would say the people who are able to impact more people's lives are the ones that actually become financially successful. So I would say the people who have become financially successful generally focus on bigger, big problems. And they focus on the customer. They focus on not, they're not passionate. They are just not passionate people. They have obsession, right? So passion is for losers. Obsession is for entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I know you've sold a lot of companies. Um, I've got friends who sold companies and some of them, it was the best day in their life and some of them, it was the worst day in their life. Um, how was selling companies for you? How did you feel selling them and what did you learn along the way? But this, again, it's not... It, whether it is doing going public or selling a company or buying a company, to me, these are what I would call the financing events. 
it doesn't change what you do and sometimes you sell companies simply because you want to now focus on something totally different so if i'm focused on a problem that i think is now reasonably close to getting solved and i have done my part and i want to go focus on the next problems for example i started moon express what you know got the things to a place where we are now ready to launch our mission to the moon next year and I say, you know what? Now it's just a more of the same. So what do you do? Either you bring in the new management team, the CEO, and you let them run with it. You can sell the company. You can take an IPO. All those are strategies. But what I want to do is now focus on health. And when I believe the health problem is close to getting solved because people are no longer have chronic diseases, then I say, should I go fix education? Do I look at agriculture? Do I look at water? Do I look at land? Do I look at affordable housing? What are the other problems that need solving that are big enough that I want to sink my teeth into? So to me, everything else in between is just simply the strategies. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I believe you um, have a vision to be able to create a trillion dollar industry in space. Is that correct? Well, no, I mean, I don't have a vision of a trillion dollar industry, but we do know the space is going to be massive. It is going to be the massive industry that has ever been created for a very simple reason. If you look at all the resources on planet Earth, they're worth trillions and trillions. And we are a tiny pale blue dot in our own solar system. And our solar system is a tiny pale blue dot in our galaxy. Our galaxy is a tiny dot in our universe. And our universe may be a tiny dot in this multiverse. If there is so much of out there, how can you possibly not believe there's going to be a massive industry that's going to be created? So it doesn't have to be us creating that, but we know those industries will be creating. And that's what excites me. My philosophy is we focus on a problem and even if we fail as a business, it's okay by me because all that means is we move the humanity forward far enough that somebody could stand on our shoulder and take it to the finish line. And as long as problem is getting solved, I don't have to be the person with the glory. Uh, so behind you there, Naveen, is the Global Voice Award. I've noticed that. What's that? Oh, I didn't even notice. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, this was an award that was uh, given last month by the governor of uh, Arkansas for my support of the women entrepreneurs. So I've been really focused uh, uh, with our daughter and my wife on really looking at how do we create more women entrepreneurs. So that was really about uh, support of, at the World Women's Summit, uh, given by the World Women's Summit at the governor's mansion for support of women entrepreneurs. Wow. And why are you so passionate about supporting women entrepreneurs? What do you think needs to change? Well, first of all, it is that the 50% of our population is just we are not taking advantage of their skills. And anytime somebody is not fully uh, utilized in a society, then we have underutilized society. You know, as I said, uh, our daughter is working on uh, removing gender bias, you know, and we all we just awarded a million dollar prize for women's safety because you can't get women to be out there in the workplace if they don't feel safe. So we launched a prize that says, what if we could come up with a small sensor that would at any point a woman is unsafe, can press that even with no cell phone signal, no nothing, and will tell where the person is and it can actually record the audio video of what is going on. And that was essentially to make sure that people knew that if someone has that device, they don't want to be anywhere near it. And that hopefully will 
you know, be act as a deterrence for anyone trying to harm anyone. And, you know, and really the idea is you start to look at the big problems and you start to solve big problems and everything else falls in place. I've just picked up on something, Naveen. I'm sure you know this, but I just want to point it out to everyone. You pretty much start every sentence with what if, and I love that because you're, you're basically saying, instead of looking at the problem as a problem, you're saying, well, what if, and that leads you to the solution. First of all, I didn't even notice it. So this, this is like my like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't know that I do that, but maybe that just comes naturally because to me, there are some very powerful word in the English language. Again, English is my second language, but I find is that if I say, imagine, and suddenly all your preconceived ideas go away. At that time, you're willing to listen to anything what I'm going to say. I say, imagine. And then now, whatever I follow, you're willing to say, okay, I'm listening to listening to you. Tell me what I should imagine. And that's really powerful way of essentially getting people to buy into your idea. The trick really is, after imagine, you have to tell them something they can visualize. So what you can't say is, imagine... We are the largest company with the biggest market share. <laughs> it's like people say, ah, I don't know what that means, right? But if you see what like Martin Luther King was the best way to describe the visualization. He didn't say, imagine a world where there is racial equality and people say, huh? He said, imagine a world where a black guy, person is holding a hand of a white girl walking together in harmony. And people say, oh my God, I can imagine that. Right. And that's really the trick. So you got to tell someone we don't say imagine where, you know, so we say imagine a world where illness is optional, where no one is suffering. And suddenly people say, oh, my God, you mean my grandma won't be could remember me. You mean my dad who died from cancer would not have to. And suddenly people say, oh, my God, I love that world. I want to be part of that world. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So uh, I know we little sort of did a little negotiation on a time and I want to respect that. So I guess we've got about seven minutes left. So happy for these next few questions to be quite quick fire if you want. Sure. Um, and some of these questions I actually think are terrible, but they often get good answers. So I'm just saying. So what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, you know, it is really is to stay in the moment never look back and never look forward because you can never enjoy life when you are not in the moment. And the worst advice you ever received? Um, doing podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Right, that's fine. <laughs> what would you say is the best and worst trait about you? Um, I would say that I am extremely, you know, believe in positivity of what is possible. So I believe in what the world can be. I believe in the possibilities. And the worst trait is I believe that everything is possible. Right. <laughs> I love it. Um, what inspires you, Naveen? Uh, life. I really think that every day of my life, I get inspired about what is possible. I get inspired by every interaction I have. And as I said right in the beginning of this podcast, life is an amazing mentor. It never stops teaching. Yeah, love it. Um, how would you like to be remembered? Um, as a great father, as a great human being, uh, a person who cared about more than myself, but cared about the people around me and the society. Love it. Um, is there one other thing you haven't mentioned that's wrong with the world that you'd really like to change? Um, the mindset. If we can change the mindset from a scarcity to abundance, if we can get people to dream big, and if we can get people not to be afraid of the thing called failure, 
because in my mind, you only fail when you give up. Uh, every idea that does not work is simply a stepping stone to a different idea and a bigger idea. So you only feel when you give up. So dream so big that people think you're crazy and always look at what world you want to live in and go out and create that world. Love it. Um, do you have a uh, something that you feel proud of achieved and then something that maybe was a, a big failure or a perceived mistake? Yeah, so I think the biggest accomplishments in my life would be just watching our children succeed because it is not just about leaving the better world for our children. It's also about leaving the better children for our world. And that to me, I'm just so proud that at this young age, they're going out and actually focused on solving the world's biggest problems. And I would say the biggest thing that I'm a mistake would be, I wish I started on the entrepreneurial journey when I was younger, like my, our kids are doing. I started when I was in late 30s. So my biggest mistake is not taking the chance when I was in 20, because I could have really gotten 20 more years worth of solving the problems. Yeah, love it. And then finally, Naveen, um, this podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Now, I, I believe that the word has slightly different sort of senses and meanings in England as it does to the UK, as America. Um, but what does, does the word disruptive mean to you? Uh, the things when they are not just incremental, but they are exponential. Because to me, and when you become an expert, you become useless at those things. And those things, experts can only improve something 10% or 15%. And those are incremental. When you are outside the industry, you are able to make it something 10 times or 100 times better. So the disruption happens when you're no longer incremental, when something changes at least by 10x. Mm. Love it. And then finally, where can we follow you? What do you what do you want us to go to follow your work and be involved? You can follow me on Facebook. You can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter. Excellent. Naveen, thank you for taking your time out. Thank I, think, you. I think we hit bang on 45 minutes. So I think we will we do sure it. Did. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Naveen. Bye.